All right, good morning, everybody. How are you guys doing today? It's great to be with you all. Thank you for being here with us. Uh, I've been out for a couple weeks doing some traveling with some family, and it was an amazing time being away with Scott. Last week, we were on a Soma uh, pastor's prayer retreat. We're part of a family of churches called Soma, and all several different uh, pastors from the East Coast, we all gathered up in New England, uh, in Worcester, Massachusetts, for a two-day prayer retreat, which was amazing. Uh, you want to hear about that, I would love to share with you about that, but it was a great time being away, but really excited to be back, really excited to be back here with you all, and today we're going to be continuing in our study on the book of Matthew. You can turn to Matthew 6, your phone or uh, your device, or if you want to grab the Bible there in front of you, that's where we're going to be today. We're going to be looking specifically at verses 16 through 18, and last week, uh, if you were with us, you know that Scott preached about praying, about Jesus teaching us to pray in the Lord's Prayer. And if you missed that sermon, I would really encourage you to go back and check that out. And so today, we're going to be moving into an area discussing probably everybody's favorite topic, fasting. And I won't make you raise your hands, but if you're anything like me, you've probably barely ever fasted. And if you had you were probably just ended up angry and confused and didn't even know why you were doing it and don't even know what it's for. Fasting is one of those, in one sense, strange disciplines of the Christian faith, inherited from our Jewish forerunners. And it's strange because for a lot of us, if we're honest, we just don't know what to do with it. We don't know how to fit it into our life. We don't really know why we do it. And if you've been in the church for a while, maybe you've heard about fasting. But what's it for? Is it, is it a bargaining chip with God? Okay, God, if I fast, will you give me this? Is it a way to prove how committed we are? I was reading some different scholars, and one of them actually used the word as a way to prove our commitment to God. I was like, oh. I thought Jesus secured that for us, but okay. I guess we've got to fast to prove that to God. It, do we fast so that God will give us what we want and answer our prayers? Do we fast to prove to other people how godly we are? What's the purpose of fasting? I remember growing up, uh, this is one of my experiences in my past, growing up in a different church, not redemption, we did a whole church-wide fast. The whole church was going to fast together. And then at the end of it, we're going to do like a final night of prayer, like coming together and talking about what God showed us in our fast. And I remember being a young boy thinking, the really godly people are going to fast the whole time. They're going to prove how godly they are. It lasted a day and it didn't go well for me. And one guy in our church ended up trying to fast for 40 days straight and nearly ended up in the hospital. It's not recommended. So you can see there's a lot of confusion that goes into the topic of fasting. And if you didn't grow up in the church or if Christianity maybe is relatively new to you, you might be thinking, why in the world would anybody fast and cut themselves off from food? Why would you deprive yourself of that? So why fast? Why does Jesus call us to fast? That's what we're going to be looking at today. But I want to help us understand where we're at first in the book of Matthew. If you remember last week, Scott preached about prayer. If you guys remember from, I think it was like six weeks back or so, remember when Mike Copino preached on giving? The very beginning of Matthew? So what we're looking at is we've looked at giving, praying, and now fasting. These were all very common practices 
that the Jewish people were doing at the time. So in one sense, Jesus talking about these things, he's not like adding some new practice. Because the people at the time would have known about these things. But now, Jesus is showing them all of these practices. Do them all now around my kingdom that's breaking in. Do them all now differently. Not in a way that you make much of yourself, but you actually show how the kingdom is coming through these disciplines. So let's hear this passage read. I'm going to read it for us. And then we're going to pray and we'll jump in. So this is Matthew 6, verses 16 to 18. Jesus says, And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for the joy it is to gather together as your people. We thank you, Jesus, that you yourself are addressing us by your spirit in the word. And so, God, we ask for help. I ask for help as I try to communicate uh, what you have spoken to us in the scriptures. I ask, Jesus, that you would keep our hearts tender and soft, that you would, uh, that you would rid us of pride, even spiritual pride as it relates to fasting or other spiritual disciplines. And I pray, Jesus, that this morning we would hear you calling us into deeper communion and unity with you and with the Father and with the Spirit. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So we've been in Matthew for a while now. And one thing that me and Scott really want us to see throughout this is that Jesus coming and teaching, even specifically these parables and stories of the Sermon on the Mount, is Jesus just giving them a ton of new information? He's really not. He's actually showing how the whole Jewish story, whether it was the Torah, whether it was the sacrifices, whether it was the Israelites being rescued out of Egypt, how all of that was pointing at him. He's taking the Jewish story and showing this was always going somewhere. And now you see that in me. Jesus is showing them that he's not just coming to create a way for sinners to get saved and then whisked away to heaven. No, no. Jesus is coming and showing them. This is what we're seeing throughout Matthew that Jesus is actually coming to build a kingdom of witnesses who will show that all things are being made new. That Jesus, through his future soon coming death and resurrection, was going to make all things new in him and in the Spirit coming. So thus now we arrive in this section of Matthew 6 where we're looking at these Jewish practices. And Jesus is saying, guys, here's how you do this now in light of the fact that the kingdom of God is already breaking in. And one of the reasons Jesus had to address this is because these practices, which you've probably already picked this up, whether it was with giving or praying and now fasting, people were doing these practices for show. They were doing these disciplines so that people would see them and see how godly they were, see how committed they were to following God. But in every one of these practices, if you look throughout Matthew 6, you see that Jesus always says, do it so no one sees. Look at the very beginning of Matthew 6 in verse 1. He says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. So today, I just want us to address two points. We want to listen to what Jesus is saying in this passage 
then we want to listen for Jesus when we fast. Listening for Jesus in the text and listening for Jesus in our fasting. So let's look at this first point, listening to Jesus in the text. I think it's helpful if we define fasting. Because we all might be in here thinking fasting is a different thing. For our purposes today, I want us to think of fasting as the elimination of things that could or that would normally distract us from God. Fasting is stopping the consumption of something for a certain amount of time. So for some of us, maybe you know about fasting because it relates to food. Maybe you've heard of people fasting from media. Again, these are good things, but they could potentially prevent us from deeper communion with God. So in light of that definition, Let's look back at the text and see what is Jesus actually saying here in this passage. Look at verse 16. He says, When you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. He says, When you fast, don't look gloomy like those who disfigure their faces. What, what in the world is going on there? Well, a lot of scholars think that at Jesus' time, when Jesus was talking to the Jewish people about this, people would kind of go out of their way to make sure everybody knew what they were doing. Typically for a Jew at the time, there was different washings. They would anoint their hair and their beards with oil, make themselves look presentable to clean themselves up. But when people were fasting, they would oh, look like a mess and probably have dirt on themselves and you know, and if you remember when Jesus talking about praying, people would pray out loud on the street corners or people would make a big show of how they gave money. Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. Make yourself look presentable. Make yourself look like it's normal and no one has to know what you're doing. Jesus is saying to them, don't look haggard. Clean yourself up when you're fasting. Fast in such a way that no one has any idea that you're doing it. Don't announce it to people. But why does he say that? Look at the text. Because if you do it so that people notice you, there's your reward. Congratulations, people have noticed you. Great job, that's all you got now. Look at verse 16 and 18, Jesus says, there's a reward. There's motive here for fasting. We do it for a certain reason, for a certain outcome, and that's Jesus' whole point here. He's talking about this reward. One scholar, a great New Testament scholar named Leon Morris, writes this. Jesus implies that those who follow him will fast from time to time. That's why he says, when you fast. So it's assumed that you will fast. When, where was it? Jesus implies that those who follow him will fast from time to time. But he says nothing about frequency, occasion, or method. Think about that. Jesus doesn't tell them how often to fast. He doesn't tell them when to fast. Actually, in the Jewish Torah, I think there was only like one specified day throughout the year of when they were to fast. He is concerned only with the motive behind the fasting, and indeed primarily with the requirement that fasting be done secretly as a matter between the religious person and between God. So this shows, guys, that this passage and what Jesus is saying is so not about the ways and what we're supposed to fast from, but much more. But why fasting in the first place? And not just fasting, any spiritual discipline. 
Jesus is getting at our motivation. What is driving us to do this? Is it because we want to get God and get more of God? Or are we pursuing these disciplines, whether it's fasting, reading your Bible, praying, giving money, because you think you're going to get something from God? Or because you think you have to prove or validate yourself before other people? Ultimately, what we see is that Jesus here is critiquing religion. Jesus is critiquing people who act or perform a certain way so that God will bless you. Jesus is critiquing religion. And I want, I want you to, I want to be really clear here that I'm using religion as a negative term. Often when people hear the term religion, they think that just relates to spiritual things. Oh, things that relate to the Bible or things related to the spiritual domain. That's what religion is, but no, no. I want us to understand religion as people who do things simply for the show. Religion is people who do things because they think that God's their divine genie up in the sky who if, if I do this, he'll bless me. If I live in this kind of way, then come on, God, like I've been pretty good. Like you owe me now, right? Friends, that is religion. People who do things to, see, look, I'm so generous with my money. Way more generous than that joker. He doesn't even give anything. Look at, look at how, how much I read my Bible. Look at all these books I've read this year. I'm so much more godly than those other people in my missional community. Friends, that's religion. That's what Jesus hates. That is what Jesus is attacking here. Religion tells you, I have to perform a certain way because only then will I be accepted. But that's the exact opposite of the gospel. The gospel tells you, I am accepted not because of Nate. I am accepted because of what Jesus has done on Nate's behalf. Jesus secures my acceptance. That's why Romans says, For we hold that one is justified, declared right, accepted, validated, apart from works. Religion tells us that you have to do, you have to work, you have to strive, so that then God will love you more. But the gospel says, God already loves you as much as he ever could if you are in Jesus. So here, Jesus is laying this major critique against people who would do things for the favor of man. People who would do things for God, not because they love God, because they want to get from God. And what's interesting if you're like me, you're probably really good at thinking of people who do this. Probably already coming up with the people you know who are like, oh, they're so religious. Oh my gosh. Another social media rant telling the world how great they are. We're really good at seeing that in other people. We're not really good at actually seeing that we ourselves are being religious by judging people that do that. We all know people who do things for the show, for the appearance, people who love to call out other people. But often we're completely missing the point because we ourselves are then judging them in the exact same way that we think they're judging other people. So Jesus is here not just calling out religion. He's calling out our attempts at self-promotion. And again, that's... That's what we have to see. The heart of this passage is, yes, he's talking about fasting, but he's talking about people who fast or who do these disciplines to promote themselves. There's a man 
who is a comedian. You could maybe even argue a theologian as well. And his name is John Christ. Does anyone know who John Christ is right, right away? Okay, a couple people. John Christ is a Christian comedian who often creates very funny, satirical videos mocking Christians. And it's pretty accurate. And what's interesting is that often it takes irony and satire to help us see something that's really true. So John Christ created a video that I was going to show, but decided not to. You can go look it up. It's called Christian Girl Instagram. And what he does is he creates this video as if he's selling a service to Christian girls or Christian people who want to make their godliness and their Bible reading look really good on the internet. If you're like, what in the world? Exactly. But this is a thing that people do, and that's why it hits home for so many people. So what he does is he highlights how hard you have to work to make yourself look really godly. He talks about different ways and hashtags and things you can do so when you post a picture of your Bible reading, people will look at you and go, oh, wow, so godly, hashtag blessed. So, if you haven't watched it, you should look it up, look at it later. But during my sermon prep, this video popped into my head, and one thing that he says in there just drives Jesus' point home. He's talking about all the work you go to, you know, he interviews this girl who says, I used to spend five minutes reading my Bible and then 30 minutes trying to figure out how to post about it on the internet. And then he says, because after all, what good is it having a quiet time and reading your Bible if no one knows about it? Let that sink in. After all, what good is it having a quiet time or reading your Bible if no one knows about it? Do you see how that gets right to the core? of what Jesus is talking about. What good is it doing something godly unless people can see you? Where's the reward in that? And this obviously is comical. But do you see the point he's making? Jesus is saying when you're announcing your fast, when you're announcing your godliness, that's exactly what Jesus is saying to avoid. If you look earlier in Matthew 6, when Jesus is talking about giving, he talks about people who would stand and blow a trumpet to let everybody know, look at how godly I am. Look at how much money I'm giving, and which is obviously insane because nobody would blow a trumpet, right? That's exactly what these people were doing, trying to show, give this appearance of godliness. And again, it's really easy to see it in other people. But who's Jesus addressing here? Is he addressing other people? Or is he addressing you? So ask yourself, what things do I do so that other people will notice? What ways, what things do I go out of my way to make sure that I can, you know, maybe kind of subtly sneak in this story of, oh yeah, look at this thing I did. Look at how good I did with this thing. Oh, yeah, I mean, I read 10 books this week, no big deal. What things do you do in your world? What habits, what patterns do you have that you use to draw attention to yourself, to either how good you are or how strong you are or, or whatever that would be? And I want, I want us to spend a minute here before we move on because I think this is really important. I want us to ask this of ourselves. 
Why do you crave that approval so badly? This is built into all of us, but we all do it in different ways. Why is it so deeply ingrained in you that you need people to notice you? Why is it so deeply ingrained that you have to always kind of sneak in like, here's what I've done. And if you're really honest, why do you so deeply crave those likes on social media? Why do you get so down if you don't get the compliments you were expecting? Jesus is addressing why we do things for the reward of human approval. And this is, this is very complex, guys. There's a lot of things. We could just jump to the gospel and be done. But I want us to pause on this for a second. There's a lot we could say and should say here. Because for some of us, there's a lot of emotional, psychological things going on here with why we seek approval from people. For some of you, maybe you were never really encouraged and praised as a child. So now, in your whole life, you have to constantly be doing things to draw attention to yourself. For some of you, maybe you were told that you were only as good as your next performance. So that means after you're done with something, like, overcame that, that went really good. I'm back on the line again. What's next? What do I have to do next to prove my worth again? Maybe you're someone who continually needs validation in your job. Maybe you seek validation or try to accomplish through your parenting or through your skill or advancement in certain hobbies or in certain lifestyles that you pursue. Because if you fail in that, oh, well, then the whole world falls apart. Oh, my gosh, the whole world is over. Maybe you even do that through ways that you're trying to grow as a Christian. So for some of you, say probably for all of us, there's some real emotional soul work that we can do here in processing some of this. But ultimately, all of these things, whether it's soul work in our past or things that we're currently struggling with, all of this comes down to the fact that we seek the praise of man in all different areas of our life because we are not yet fully convinced, we are not yet fully believing in every area of our life that the Father has completely validated and accepted us already in the Son. Maybe you're partially convinced of that. Maybe you do believe in Jesus, and now the goal of the Christian faith is increasing in belief, increasing in confidence that in every area of your life, you no longer have to weigh in the scales of if I'm going to be loved and accepted by God. Because if your faith is in Jesus, then that debate is settled. The cross and resurrection settled that. Because think about this. If you fully grasp how loved and approved and accepted you were in Jesus, you could live the rest of your life never needing praise from man. Think about that. So that's what Jesus is getting here at Matthew 6. And in this critique of religion, he's calling his followers and us to realize that when we find our identity in him, our final stamp of justification in him, 
then we can actually do spiritual disciplines like being generous with our money or with our time. We can actually seek a life of prayer. We can actually seek fasting because we love God. Because we want more of God. We want to know Him more. Not because we want to get things from Him. Because look at what Jesus says. Verse 17 and 18. He says, your Father will see you. Father who sees you will reward you. Knowing that you are seen, that you are heard, that you are approved by the Father if your faith is in the Son. So we can only rightly approach fasting if we realize that we've done business with our justification and that my fasting does not hinge on my justification at all. The amount I, I do or don't fast doesn't touch that. Do you see the difference in fasting to get from God, fasting to prove something versus no, no, no. I already know. I am as loved and accepted by the Father, because I see what Jesus has done for me, so now I can fast because, God, I want more of you. God, I want to sit and be still and cut things out of my life that are distracting so I can just hear you talk to me. See the difference in that? Because what's interesting is Jesus is addressing people in this passage who are so insecure who are so lacking in their reliance on Jesus that they have to seek fame and adulation through doing spiritual things. This is why Jesus is always, throughout the Gospels, he's critiquing the most religious people. The godliest people of his time were the ones who got his most severe critique. And who did he praise? People who were poor. The people who had nothing but their hope in God. Those are the people Jesus was like. They get it. The widow who literally gave pennies, Jesus is like, she's got it. The kingdom's right here. The people who just pray simply, Jesus, give me what I need for today. They get it. They get it. The people who can fast and go about their day and not have to draw attention to themselves, the kingdom's here. They're getting it. So, we have to realize that as we discuss Fasting, Jesus is drawing us back in this passage to asking, why do you fast? Is it so that you will know the Father? Or is it so that you will be seen as spiritual or godly or worthy? So we've looked at the text. We've looked at some of what Jesus is saying to us. But now, how do we listen for Jesus when we actually do go to fast? We can't just look at the text. We have to now say, okay, well, how do we fast? What, what do we do when we fast? Fasting is all about creating a space, about creating silence so that you can listen for Jesus in your fasting. Fasting is about removing things so that we can build a consciousness of our need for God. Fasting is about removing things so that we can build a consciousness of our need for God. Because if we're honest... You live in America. You drove in a car. Even if you don't have a ton of money, you probably have some money in the bank. 
And if you don't have a lot of money, you could go get a credit card and get things. Do we really need God? We do. But do we need God? We're Americans. We can get whatever we want. So the thought of fasting is like, well, why would I do that? Friends, for us as Americans, I would say, we probably need to fast more than anybody. To build awareness of, God, I need you so much. God, when I'm sad, I'll just go buy things to make me happy. God, if I don't really like what I have in my pantry, I'll just go out and buy groceries. God, if I don't really like how my relationships are going, okay, well, screw that. I'll just go get more relationships. We can just go do whatever we want. We have no sense of our real need for God. So for us, I think fasting is even more important so that we can see, God, I really, really need you. I need to see my need. What's interesting, this is even a part of my sermon, but like, how much do we hate being needy? Not only as Americans do we have a lot of means to avoid need, but then when we actually are needy, when things are going wrong in our life, we charge heaven. God, you're being so unfaithful. I don't want to need you. Wow. I think Jesus is actually saying, it's really good to need your father. It's really good to be in a place where you say, God, I have no hope but you. Friends, when you are in that place, and maybe you are there today, blessed are you. That is a good place to be. God, I need you. I need you. Jesus shows up in those places. Because when you fast... Let's start talking now about some specifics of fasting. You will feel need. Your body will tell you you need. When you choose to not watch your favorite show and fast from that, what are you going to be thinking about for the next 21 minutes when you would normally be watching The Office? You will be thinking about what you are missing. Friends, that's why that physical experience of fasting is intended to draw us to the spiritual reality of our true provision. Again, because we're Americans, we have whatever we want. It's so easy to forget that our true provision has actually been accomplished through the man Jesus. This, the physical experience of any type of fast is intended to draw us to our true provision, which isn't the next meal. Our true provision is an awareness of God who loves us and wants to be near us. The physical effects of fasting are intended to draw you to the spiritual realities of your need for God. Because, yes, in the text, Jesus is talking about fasting from food. And fasting from food is a good thing. And I'm going to talk a little bit about how we can do that in just a second. But guys, there's a lot of other things you can fast from could fast from social media. Some of you in here are already saying, well, that's impossible. You could fast from TV. You could fast from other forms of entertainment. You could fast from your hobbies. And dare I say it, probably get kicked out for saying this, you could fast from your phone. You could put that thing away for a couple hours. Okay, Nate, you're asking too much here. Because if you think about it, in each of these things, there's a craving built into it. I need this thing. And if you think you don't, prove it. 
put your phone away, take the Netflix app, app off of your iPad, choose to not watch TV for three days in a row. And trust me, both your body or your mind will be telling you, oh, I want that. When you fast, things will be exposed. And Jesus wants to meet you there. Think about that. He's inviting us. Come. Go on this journey with me. Put the things away. Do you think I'm going to show up? I'm going to show up. And it might be in your anger and in your frustration. It might be in the fact that you realize how much chaos and noise is between your two ears all the time. But then you'll actually hear the voice of God. So I want us to close by considering some questions that we can ask ourselves as we seek to listen for Jesus, and then practices that we can do. So some questions as we seek to listen, and some practices as we seek to listen for Jesus in our fasting. Again, if we know my approval's set, I'm not fasting to get things from God, I'm fasting to get God. If you start there, like the ground of your acceptance is not your disciplines, the ground of your acceptance is Jesus, and he secured that. So now I can fast and just be like, God, I want to show up. I want to show up and hear you, Jesus. So let's look at some questions that we can be asking ourselves as we think about fasting. What do you think you need to withdraw from? I'll give you a hint. It's probably the thing you're thinking about right now. What if you cut it out for a short time would give you uninterrupted minutes with Jesus? What if you cut it out for a short time would give you uninterrupted minutes with Jesus? Just time to sit. Time to be still. I think we need to reorient ourselves that that is fasting. If I choose to say no to this thing, that will give me some time to just sit and be still. This is probably a question that all of us need to answer. What about your current pace of life doesn't allow you to fast? Because if we're honest, we've got too much going on. You don't have time to fast. What about your current pace of life could be set a time for a time so that you could actually have time to fast? Ask yourself, do I really need X? in my life? Do I really need to keep up with as many people as I try to in my life? I'm not saying you need to be a jerk, but so often we try to keep up with so many people just because we're worried about what they might think if we don't. Do I really need to have my kids engaged in X number of activities? Not a parent yet. Will be soon. But ask yourself, do my kids need to be doing X, Y, Z? Or could we say, no, we can just do a couple things. Do I need to play certain games or be on devices every day? Here's a world that I can't relate to, but I hear this as a thing. Do I need to be in every single fantasy football draft? Do I really need to watch The Officer Ted Lasso every night? What if you cut it out? There'd be at least 21 minutes that you could just sit and be still. 
other questions to ask. And I think this is where it really gets practical, but also we need to be honest. What season of life am I in? For some of you, you might be in the chaotic season with young babies and kids, and you're like, if I can just get 30 seconds alone, praise God for that. Friend, take the 30 seconds. Take the 30 seconds and then even realize as the chaos sets back in that the God you want to meet with is going to show up there. What season of life are you in? Are you in a season of celebration right now? Are you in a season of renewal? Are you in a season of mourning? I was just talking to somebody the other day, and they're in a real season of confusion right now in their life. What would fasting look like in any of those seasons? We are in a season of celebration. So I want to just take some space to thank God for that, to rightly celebrate. Or I'm in a season of some mourning and some doubt and some questions. What would fasting look like in that season? What do you think God might be trying to tell you? But you haven't slowed down enough to actually hear him. Maybe you're in a season of just trying to survive. Maybe you're in a season of doubt. How do you think fasting from food, from media, from your phone, how do you think fasting would actually inform what God wants you to do next in that season? Because again, I hope you're not hearing that the goal of these questions is now you have to add more into your life. Oh, whew, I already was busy. Now I've got to start fasting. No. What can you cut out of your life so that you can fast? That's how I want you to think about this. Let's look at some practices. Practices for how... So we've talked about some questions to ask ourselves. Let's look at some just really practical things. One practical... If you're like, this is brand new to you, you have no idea what to do, once a week, once a week, I challenge you, carve out five to ten minutes to just sit and be still. Five minutes. Sit and be still with God. No food, no drinks, no phone, no music. I mean, if you need water, you can have water. But just time and space for you to be with Jesus, to be with your Father who sees in secret. Jesus even describes shutting yourself in a closed space. This could be at midnight, could be at 5 a.m., could be on your lunch break where you just go and sit somewhere, could be nap time. For me, I personally, I literally was just thinking, okay, am I going to tell them about my fast and then do what Jesus is telling them, not do what, anyway. But this is something brand new for me. And about a year ago, a friend of me encouraged me to just take five minutes, put your phone away, put a timer on, and just sit for five minutes. And then begin to expand that to like six minutes. And trust me, those five minutes are the longest five minutes of my life. But now as I begin to just try to grow in that and add some minutes on, what I've realized is the beginning is just getting all my stuff out. God, I'm worried about this. God, I'm anxious about this. God, I'm angry about this. God, I don't know what you're doing here. Get it all out. It takes about two minutes. And then just sit. God, what are you trying to say to me? God, what are you highlighting right now? God, I think there's a lot of fear going on right now. God, I'm... I'm really confused about this thing. God, I'm really hurt by this person. 
God, I don't know what to do about X decision in my life, X relationship in my life. Five minutes, maybe six minutes, once a week. Start simple. Another practical idea, start with social media. Cut it out for one day a week if you're one of those 24-7 social media people. Friends, I mean, I could show you statistically, psychologically, academically, all the ways that social media is filling you with chaos. It is filling your soul with madness. Is it a bad thing? Not in and of itself. But when we are addicted to social media, to our phones, the withdrawal effects, once you get through them, will be possibly the most life-giving thing for you. Again, this is a practice that a friend, of my, a friend encouraged me to do of having days where you just don't get on social media or maybe days where you don't even check the news. Parents, consider this as a regular discipline with your kids of intentionally building in space early on for them to say, this is when the devices are not in use. And here's what I want you to try to do instead. Another simple idea with food, again, we want to be careful. Some of us might not be able to fast from food. You need to know yourself. You need to know your body. You need to know from your doctor if you're healthy to do this. Start with like one meal once a week fast. Make it intentional. Like if you know I've got nothing going on this Thursday night, I could fast. Think about the meal prep time that you would have back. Think about the actual dinner and cleanup time that you would have back. Or maybe even just cut out dessert. Again, there's so many practical ways to just say, just start with this. Cut something out to have intentional time. Last practical suggestion. Don't make it look like you're fasting. Don't feel the need to announce it. Don't feel that everybody has to know. Because if you do, there's your reward. Consider the implications of how and what you're fasting and allow that to lead you into a quiet space to be with the Father. I want us to land right here by thinking about what Jesus says about being seen by the Father. Let me ask you, does God see you? Does he see you? And I'm not saying theologically, because we could all say, oh yeah, God, God's omniscient. He knows everything. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere all the time. He knows my words before I say them. Great. Thank you for having good theology. Does he see you? Does he know the cares you have? Does he know the unknowns that are driving you insane? Does he see you? Does he know you personally? Are you a Christian because you think you know the right stuff? Are you a Christian because you know God sees me? And if you don't know that, I think fasting is going to be amazing for you. Because in fasting, you're going to know, God, you see me. You see me. You know me. We often think that we grow in knowing God just through consumption of more information, more sermons, more books, more teaching. And guys, 
Those are all absolutely essential. But I will tell you that none of those touches the reality of being able to sit and be still and know that he is God. And that he sees you. And that he wants to be you, with you. Through fasting, through cutting out food, media, noise, you will hear God. And for some of us, maybe you're scared. The silence is terrifying. But do you think God's going to meet you in the silence? He absolutely will. He absolutely will. One theologian said the goal of our fasting and prayer is that we can hear God say, Nate, I love you. Jenna, I love you. Scott, I love you. Joe, I love you. Louie, I love you. Young, I love you. That's the goal. That we hear God say to us, I love you. I love you. We fast so that we can be people who see and are known by the Father. Because what happens if we know that? If you know that you are seen and known by the Father, you're the most free person in the world. You can be free to do what God is calling you to do and be. You can know, God, here's what all these people are doing around me. And I'm just doing that because I think that's what I'm supposed to be doing. But God, who are you calling me to be? As someone filled with the Spirit who is now in allegiance to King Jesus, who are you calling me to be? You will know that in fasting. Because as we become people who know who we are and know who God is, we'll be able to be people who can be bold in this world. People who can confidently live on mission together. And people who can confidently show other people the beauty of Jesus. So, as always, when we land a sermon, if you have questions, if you have things that are confusing, I want to talk to you. Scott would love to talk to you. Please, if you want to know even more how to begin doing this, I would love to talk with you after the sermon. So please don't hesitate to come up and grab me after. But let me pray for us, and the band can come up for our closing songs. Jesus, we want to confess right now all of the the areas where we know we think we're righteous. But we want you to show us and help us believe that our real righteousness is only in you. So Jesus, we ask that you would take these truths that we've seen and that you would help us be people who live before the face of God. That we would be people who don't live for the praise and approval of man. That we would be people who know our Father sees us. That I pray that we would be a church who can take on this discipline of beginning to fast and think about this. And act on this. And that we would meet you there, God, in these spaces. God, in our fasting, we want to create sanctuaries of silence and quiet. We want to cut out the noise and the excess so that we can just see you, God. Because we want to be your faithful people, Jesus. We want to be people who can live boldly and confidently and creatively as we figure out how to be your people here in Hampton Roads, in Portsmouth, in Suffolk, in Chesapeake, in Virginia Beach, all around Hampton Roads. Jesus, we want to be your people. So we ask that as we begin to pursue this discipline of fasting, that you would show us how to do that. In Jesus' name, amen.